Genesis, quite by, I won't say coincidence, and I won't say quite by accident, but in the providence of the Lord, the daily Bible readings in the last few weeks have brought us into the book of of First uh, and Second Samuel and into the Psalms where we have lots of references to the nation of Israel. And so I thought it would be a miss if we didn't take advantage of that and strengthen our understanding and understand what our approach ought to be and how we ought to look at what's happening in the world today in relationship to the nation of Israel because there is a nation out there called Israel. It exists. Last week we looked at Scripture to show that um, Israel has a right to exist. And uh, we want to build on that. But, but I, I want to, first of all, remind you of a, a simple illustration that we gave you last week of the little girl who was talking to her pastor, and the pastor kept saying, well... God didn't mean, God said this, but he meant this instead. God said this, but he meant this instead. And the little girl looked at the pastor, and the little girl said, well, if God didn't mean what he said, why didn't he say what he meant? And I share that with you because I don't have any reason to take these passages of Scripture this morning that I'm going to read to you, I don't have any reason to not take them literally. I don't have any reason to just, just water them down or to create some, uh, some allegorical approach, which means that instead of literally, it's just figurative. And so I, I just want to encourage you to look at this from that perspective. Now, the, the last thing I want to share with you is, is simply this that um, there are 26 points that I have here today. And you know me, I, I'm not going to go over. I'm not going to go over. But in order for me to get through them, I'm going to have to let Scripture speak for itself without a lot of um, a commentary on my part. And so I just want you to know that right from the start. I'm not going to jump around. I'm not going to jump from the new, the old. and I'm going to start at Genesis and I want to give you, so if you're taking notes, and you may want to write down a few of these passages of Scripture so that you have an overview of what the Bible teaches about what our approach ought to be to Israel, uh, go ahead and take some notes on that. You might find it very profitable. But I want to begin by letting you look at your Bible for a second, and I want you to, I want you to look at the first 11 chapters of Genesis because the first 11 chapters of Genesis take us up through the flood of Noah's time, up past the Tower of Babel, into the genealogy of Abraham. That's 11 chapters. And that 11 chapters covers at least 2,000 years of history or more. 2,000 years. That's a little, very little information for a 2,000-year period of history. But then we come to chapter 12, and God does something totally different. In chapter 12, instead of addressing the world, instead of addressing his people, uh, saints who believe in him, he decides that he is going to take a family, and he's going to create a nation from a family. 
Now, we have the genealogy given to us in Genesis 11, but I want you to read verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 12, God's promises to Abraham. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed. Now in the daily Bible reading, you're going to be reading several Psalms. Psalm 132 is all about Israel. Psalm 89 is all about Israel. These were, the, these were the cluster. Don came to me and reminded me that Psalm 128 ends with peace be upon Israel. We read about the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 5 through 16. It's going to show up a couple of more times. Solomon is going to talk about it again when he talks about his dad and all of that. But the Bible says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We owe a debt of gratitude to the Israeli nation. That's what God did. He started a nation, the nation of Israel, through the family of Abraham. Now, God is very specific and he's very, he likes to narrow things down for us so that we don't misunderstand his plan and his purpose. And I find it very interesting that when you turn over to Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 18, God takes the time to explain to us exactly what he means by what he is doing with Abraham. Abraham and Lot had some problems. There wasn't enough land. Abraham said, pick the land you want and I'll take what's left. Lot chose to go over down into the valley to the Dead Sea area, which at that time was flourishing. Now when you look at it from the, from the air, it looks like a big, black, big brown spot on the surface of the earth. But it was clustered around with cities that were pretty immoral, and God had to destroy them later on. But I say that to say that that's where Lot decided to go. Abraham stayed up on top of the mountains, um, pretty much in the heart of Israel. And the Bible says that the Lord said to Abraham in verse 14, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. And then Moses moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Now, God says, Abraham, you're it. I am, I am working out my plan and purpose and the rest of the Old Testament. You, you, you don't get away from it. You start in Genesis chapter 12 
And everything God does, he does through the nation of Israel. You go through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, etc., 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 all the way to the end of the Old Testament book of Malachi. Now, if you want a visual aid of that, or you got a Bible where you can kind of feel all that information there, just put your hands between all that information and say, wow, that's the biggest part of the Bible right there. And it all deals with the nation of Israel and how God is working his plan and his purpose out through that nation. That's a lot of material. A lot of material that people over the years have dismissed. It's a lot of material that people over the years have said, well, that was then, they're gone. All that stuff doesn't matter anymore. It's not relative. No, it is relative. It's very relative to us. The Old Testament is still valid, and what God told us in the Old Testament is still very important for us to remember. God hasn't said, well, I got a new revelation for you now. That one's old and passe, and you don't even have to deal with it anymore. We understand the New Testament from what we read in the Old Testament. It was the Bible of the apostles. It was the Bible of those who lived in the time of the first century of the New Testament. But I just want to, and I'll do this very quickly for the next uh, four or five passages of Scripture. I just want to remind you that in chapter 17, I'll just go to verse 6 just for a second. In verse 17, in chapter 17, verse 6, the Bible says that God says to Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. You, you are indeed going to be a blessing to the rest of the earth because kings will come from you and, and nations will come from you as well. And not only, he doesn't leave Sarah out. Abraham, you're the guy. And not only that, but your wife Sarah is also, she's going to be the gal in all of this. In verse 16, I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. So there it is, you and Sarah. Now, you and I know that what God does then in the rest of Genesis is he keeps narrowing it down because Abraham has sons and daughters. And the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 26, verses 2 and following, that God narrows it down and says, listen, you're, it's going to now be through your son Isaac that all of this is going to happen. Not your other sons and daughters, but it's going to be through your son Isaac this is all going to happen. And you, can, you and I can read verse 4, and I will make your descendants. God addressing Isaac, Abraham's son. I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God isn't changing his mind. God isn't saying, well, that was a nice idea, but I don't know. I, I might not just do all of that. Now, please forgive me for, for using a, a, a human way of thinking in all of this. But, you know, we have a lot of human thinking in what the Bible has to say today about human events and eternal events, and biblical events. And so I, I just want you, because you, listen, ask yourself the question, why is there so much hatred for Israel? Why? 
As nations go, they're no different than any other nation on the face of the earth. Lots of good, but they're not perfect. Why? Why does it seem that every time there's a problem over there in, in Israel that they get attacked by everybody? Why? Isn't that, don't, you, don't you ever think of that and say, boy, that's uncanny. How many have thought of that before? Boy, that is uncanny. I just, I'm amazed at how Israel gets attacked for everything, more so than, can you think of any other nation on the face of the earth that has been historically attacked more than the nation of Israel? They have suffered more than any other nation. We know that. They've suffered more than any other people. Did you, you ever ask yourself the question, Why? What's your answer? Do you have an answer? When you hear it, when you do, you have an answer? I, I have lots of answers. A couple of mine I'm going to give to you this morning uh, because I just want to be a little bit more careful, but it's satanic. Let's put it that way. We know it starts with Satan. And I'm a firm believer, by the way, that if Satan can get us to believe that none of this stuff about Israel is true or will ever come to pass that hasn't come to pass yet, then he can, he can dismiss Scripture. I really firmly believe that. I firmly believe that when you take everything that the Bible tells us that's literal and you make it figurative, what you're really doing is making an excuse for stuff that you can't fit into history. I'm glad that the early church, uh, when they saw Jerusalem destroyed in 70 AD, I'm glad that they didn't give up what they knew the scriptures to teach. And they would just say, well, you know what? God said he's going to bring the children of Israel back. So if he said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. But there's no nation there anymore. The Romans have totally uh, thrown them out. Well, you know what? I'm not going to change what the Bible teaches. The Bible says he's going to bring them back. You see? And we need to have that kind of conviction when it comes to Scripture. And I'll be very honest with you, and this is a sermon for another time. When we do that figuratively, can you imagine what it does to uh, evangelism around the world? Can you imagine? I'll get into that sometime, and, and, and hopefully you'll get to see what I'm talking about. But anyway, but anyway, God narrows it down to Isaac. God narrows it down to Jacob. He gives Jacob the same promise in chapter 28. And then in chapter 49, verse 11, when the children of Israel are in Egypt, he even narrows it down further and says, you know what? All of this is going to happen through the tribe of Judah. Judah's going to be the one. All right, so God specifically in doing, and, and it's interesting, it's important that God does this because God in not one single one of these situations is dealing with the oldest child. See, we live in a world where we think the oldest child has special, special consideration, right? Well, if the oldest child, then you get to be the king when the time comes. But in not one of these situations did God use the oldest child. <laughs> All right. Okay, now having said that, then you and I know what we did. We went to 2 Samuel chapter 7 where God gave to uh, God gave to David. David wanted to build the temple. God says you can't build the temple. 
Uh, I use you for the purpose of war. Your son's going to build the temple. But you'll remember in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he gave the Davidic covenant, and he gave very specific, very specific provisions. Verse 10 of chapter 7. I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Well, they're already in Israel right now, so what on earth does he mean by that? Something later. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. Verse 11. He will set up your kingdom, your royal house. In verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That was weak. I appreciate the person who said it. <laughs> Whoever you were. But I will establish his kingdom. What? Forever, I have still not yet learned to take the word forever and compartmentalize it into little blocks of time. There are times when it fits the context, but I have not yet done that with most of the reference to the word forever. For instance, if the Bible says that you don't receive the truth of the gospel and trust Christ as your Savior, you're going to be assigned to hell, what? Forever. I'm not going to take a look at that and say, well, maybe for a few days, maybe for a year, and then things will change. No, I really believe the Bible means what it says. Now, go to Psalm 89. Go to Psalm 89, all right? Uh, that we didn't look at this one today, but this is a psalm that deals with the um, Davidic covenant that God made. Now, covenants are, are promises that God makes. And by the way, a lot of these promises are unconditional. Uh, one or two of them are conditional, but most of these are God says, I'm going to do it. This is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to work around you even if you frustrate me in trying to undo what I plan to do. But all I want you to do is read a couple of verses of Psalm 89. Psalm 89. In verse 3 it says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant, who? David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Move over to... Um, Move over to uh, chapter uh, 89. Stay there in 89. And move over to verse 24. Verse, uh, no, let's, let's save some time. Move over to verse 30, because I think this will explain it as well. Everybody listen. Listen to this. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish her. I will punish Israel like I punish every other nation. Nevertheless, now look at what he says next. My loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. 
Everybody together. If you have a King, New King James Version, you can actually read this with me. Wouldn't it be nice for us all to hear this with a lot of volume? Everybody together. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out from my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. All right. Now, you may have some theological questions about God getting rid of the moon and the sun one of these days, but I, I, I personally don't see, and, you know, God's creating a new heaven and a new earth, but that, that's a side issue there, and we can, we can talk about that another time. But the fact of the matter is God is bringing heaven to earth, right? And I don't have any reason to assume, I don't have any reason to assume that all the wonders of creation that God has given to us, he's just going to totally dismiss and say, okay, that's it. Totally new now. Everything is so totally new that you won't even recognize what the wonderful world was before. No curse. No decay. But he uses the sun and the moon to say, listen, I am faithful to David forever. And by the way, that will go as far as it needs to go when we understand that passage of Scripture. That goes all the way through the New Testament. It goes all the way through life on this earth till when? The millennial reign of Christ is over. Okay. So, listen. I am encouraged when I take the Bible literally. Because I don't have to struggle with trying to figure out if my idea in figurative, making it figurative is right or wrong. Because like we said in Bible study, uh, we said, you know, half the time your guess is as good as mine when we take the literal and make it figurative instead. All right, having said that, maybe I lost some of you, I don't know. But let's, let's keep going. We still have about five minutes. I want you to notice that there's a lot of Old Testament confirmation of what we have here. For instance, in Isaiah, and we're going to go very quickly now, in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 61 and uh, verse 6 and 7, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, very famous passage of Scripture. You know it very, very well. And the only reason I'm adding words here is I haven't got there yet. Uh, and I assume maybe you're still struggling to get there. I only have one marker in my Bible. I wish I had about 10. I wish the Bibles would come with like 10 markers where I could put pages. In Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and you know it very well, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. Did you read that? Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forevermore. It's the zeal of the Lord that's doing this, not yours. It's the zeal of the Lord. Jeremiah. Chapter 23, 
Jeremiah chapter, let me give these to you because I don't have time to read them. Jeremiah chapter 23, 5 through 8, read that. Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 1 through 9, read that. Verses 1 through 11, read that. Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 through 17. Hosea chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 15 through 15. Did you get all of those? <laughs> Maybe we'll have to come back to this one more week. Maybe we'll have to do that. But I want you to look at the New Testament confirmation. A lot of people will look at these Old Testament passages of Scripture before Israel is destroyed and goes into exile and say, see, every time the Bible says God's going to bring Israel back to the land of Canaan and all these passages of Scripture, it's refer... Wait a minute, not Isaiah 9. There's no, there's no difficulty whatsoever. But in the others, I say it's referring to them coming back from exile, from Babylon. And I said, well, wait a minute. You know, Zechariah, which we looked at last week, that's the one we're focusing on on Wednesday night, talks about everything that happened after the exile. So anytime you have a reference there that God's going to bring Israel back, it has to be something forward in the future, something that had not yet happened. And we know that Israel was out of its land since 70 A.D. by the Romans. But, but there's a couple of New, New Testament confirmations here. I just want to bring a couple of them to your attention. But, but, but before I do, I want you to be well aware of the fact, and you know this very, very well, we looked over passages of Scripture that talk about God putting someone on the throne of David, sometimes called the branch. The Messiah of the Old Testament. You and I should have no problem connecting the Lord Jesus Christ to the Davidic throne of the Old Testament. We shouldn't have any problem with it whatsoever. Uh, David's name is used uh, 50 some times in the New Testament. Jesus is called the son of David uh, over a dozen times in the Gospels. So I'm hoping that nobody here has a problem connecting the Messiah with the Davidic covenant. All right? Does anybody have a problem doing that? We'll talk afterwards if you do. Luke chapter 130. See, this is another thing that really, really bothers me when we spiritualize everything. There's, a, there's room for spiritualization. There's room for figurative language. There's room for all of this, but I think that's that this this is this would be awful to do to somebody. You know, an angel comes to you in Luke chapter one, and an angel says to you in chapter one, verse thirty and thirty-one. Everybody, look at this. An angel comes to you and looks at you in chapter uh, one, verses thirty and thirty-one, and the angel says to her, "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God." And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his what? Father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. Jesus is going to reign. He's coming back. He's going to reign. The Bible doesn't indicate it's going to be anywhere else but Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he's going to reign over the nation of Israel. I have no problem saying that. Because I have no reason to say to Mary, 
The, Lord, the angel is misleading you. This is not about Israel. This is not about the throne of David. Really what the angel is saying is we're transferring all the blessings from Israel to the church. And this is, this is just about the church. Now you and I know. I'm not a dispensationalist, by the way. I don't know how many of you... With I don't even know, know what the word means, but I'm not a dispensationalist. I'm a covenant. I believe in covenant theology. So I believe that you can mesh the God believing Israel with the church so easily in the Bible. So easy to do that. But anyway, so I I'd say, listen, no, no, you heard him right. You heard the angel right. That's what he said. Go to Matthew chapter 19. Go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. And in chapter 19, verse 28, you have a reference to uh, Jesus talking about, um, and I, I, we just got to go to the words. We can't get the whole context here. In verse 28, the Bible said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, what, what, do you, what are you talking about in the regeneration? What is Jesus talking about? Peter had said to the Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Therefore, what are we going to have down the road in the future? And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay. All right. Comes up again in Luke chapter 22, but go to chapter 20. Go to chapter 20, verses 20 to 23. In chapter 20, verses 20 to 23, um, Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 23. Mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down and asking, I want you to grant that my two sons will sit with your, you on your throne, one on your right hand and the other in your kingdom. What is going through her mind? What is going through the mind of Peter? What is Jesus describing? Jesus isn't brushing all, because you have to understand, all the Jewish people are waiting for God to restore their nation and bring the Messiah to reign. And in none of these situations does Jesus say, you know what, i got to clear up a misunderstanding. Israel doesn't mean anything any longer. It's not going to mean a thing. It's going to disappear into history, and anything that does happen with Israel is just going to be a coincidence. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. And then finally, I, I don't have time to do anything more, but let's go to Acts chapter 1. It'll be the last one. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6. All right? Here is after the... This is after the resurrection of Christ. Luke... John, Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6, here's, here's the important thing. Here's the important thing. So we're getting ready for God to kind of set Israel in the background because the big emphasis is going to reach the world, reach the Gentiles. By the way, by the time you get to 15, and no time to even look at this, by the time you get to Acts chapter 15, we have a wonderful explanation of that with that Jerusalem council, by the way, where the disciples understand that. But I just want this last passage of Scripture for you to look at. They're assembled together in verse 4. 
And, God, and Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which says that uh, Holy Spirit is coming. In verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, not just one, not just two, they asked him, because this is the expectation of Israel, they asked him, saying, Lord, everybody together, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I don't know how you're going to dismiss that. I'm not suggesting any of us would do that, but I'm just saying I, we live in a world where we're constantly being bombarded, and it's extremely important for us to understand. It's extremely important for us to understand where we need to stand because... It's so easy to be swayed by what's happening here and then what's happening here and what's happening there. And you say, I don't know what to believe anymore. Listen, I want to tell you something. Israel is the apple of God's eye. The Bible says that. I don't say that. Israel is the apple of God's eye. Now, I'm done, but I want to remind you of a couple of passages of Scripture here. Do you remember early on in Jesus' ministry where Jesus is he's very... He's, he's very um, He's very tender about what he says, and you can see the grief in his, in, his, uh, in his disposition when he says it. He says, Israel, I would have often, I would have gathered you together like a hen gathers her chicks. But you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Luke chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, it's repeated in Matthew chapter 23. But you wouldn't. So I'm going to tell you. You're going to be desolate. You're going to have problems. These problems that we see in Israel are going to happen over and over and over and over again until Israel recognizes the Messiah. I'm sorry, but that's what the Bible teaches. And Jesus said, listen, listen, you're going to have this problem until you, until you see me finally as the one who comes into Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as the king. When you recognize that, then things are going to change. Things are going to change. I just feel sorry for everything that happens. You know, it was in 70 AD that Titus on April the 9th uh, cut off the supplies, surrounded the city of Jerusalem. It was Passover when he did it. Uh, he puts embankments up. He gradually starves the city. And the Romans held uh, their ground around the city uh, through the summer of that year and slowly defeated uh, by starving out the people of the city of Jerusalem. And they finally overthrew Jerusalem in early September of 70 AD. The Romans utterly demolished the city. They utterly demolished the temple. They demolished the residences. And the people were, um, were decimated. Men, women, and children were brutally slaughtered by the tens of thousands. And any survivors were carried off to Rome to be victims for sport. For the Romans, 70 A.D. And Israel had been out of its country from 70 A.D., but in the providence of God, we see a nation of Israel again today. Not without its problems. We need to pray for the peace of Israel. We need to pray that they will see the truth of God. God says they're going to see it. God says they're going to see it. We need to pray for it to happen, right? Amen? Amen. All right. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We just pray for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.